Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Granier. In today's episode, you learn how to improve every bit of your sales and marketing with social proof. My guest today is a founder, a marketer, a developer. He's built, grown, and sold multiple companies. He sold two companies, an e-commerce store and a uh, company called Gym Hopper uh, that is there to help you find the best gym membership in Europe. He also led a growth team at a startup that raised $15 million. He's now a growth consultant and is trusted by a lot of uh, fast-growing startups around Europe and around the world. So super happy to have you, Louis Nichols, on board. And it's the first time I'm interviewing someone with the same first name. So I'm even happier to have you. <laughs> it's great to be here. Happy to, uh, happy to make it happen. So social proof, right? That's something, a concept that I can, uh, I can say that I've read a lot about. I've like a lot of articles, a lot of blog posts, a lot of newspapers, a lot of TV. Like everyone seems to be talk talking about social proof and why it's important. Uh, but maybe we can take a bit of a step back and explain, first of all, for people who probably haven't heard of it, maybe just to explain briefly what it is. So like for you, how would you define it? Right. Okay. So I get asked this question a lot. And I really hate it. So the, um, I think the first place that, that social proof came around or that the term was, um, was, was Cialdini, who wrote about it in his book, Influence. Uh -huh. And basically, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but, but what he said is that um, people, when they're not certain how they should be acting or what they should be doing, that they're going to look to other people and imitate them and imitate their actions. So that's kind of the, the first... I guess, basic description of what social proof is. Um, so yeah, why so do you hate the question? Like. Why do I hate the question? Because it then, it, it, it's very narrow and it, it means a lot of different things to different people. And the way I think of social proof is that it's more, um, it's not something that you add on or, or tack on to the end of, of your marketing. It's something that you have to think about all the way through. And it, it's a lot more involved than just kind of the way that Cialdini explains it, where you, uh, you copy others, basically. Right. I think it's more involved than that. And we, we'll get into that, obviously. But yeah. Yeah, so. I, I, I would agree with you. I think what's happening a lot is that people use social proof as an, as an add-on to their marketing, right? So it's like, oh, mm -hmm. we have a website. Now we need social proof. Let's put some fucking reviews on the site. Um, yeah. Right. And that doesn't really make sense. What I prefer to think about it is more in terms of a mental model, something that you always have to have in your mind about how people behave and why they would look up to others that look like them or their peers to take certain decisions, why they don't want to seem and look like idiots when they make a decision, why they always constantly look and seek for approval, even if it's not verbal approval and all of that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of add-on. It's not an extension to your marketing, right? It should be part of your DNA. It should be part of something you think about constantly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, it really is something where there is no instance of, of, of just not having social proof. It isn't something you add on. It's either something you're doing badly or something you're doing well. Right. And maybe you have some... Like, what's the science behind it? So I know Chaldini is talking about social proof a lot and he coined the term talking about it in, in his book that a lot of guests have recommended. Um, do you have an example of 
this phenomenon explain like a, an actual example in real life of how, how social proof can actually play? Well, I mean, there are so many different examples of, of how it works. So some that people will have, have seen maybe at home, even if you're not a marketer, is you'll obviously have seen testimonials on different people's landing pages. Um, you'll go to places like Yelp, where you have all the social proof, which are reviews normally. Um, the Facebook like button is a form of social proof. And then a classic, maybe from, from back in the day that Cialdini would recognize, is those adverts you see on TV for medicines, for example, where it says nine out of 10 doctors recommend this medicine. So those are some, I guess, examples people would, would know it from at home. Uh, if you'd like, I can give you my, my favorite example of social proof. Go ahead. Which isn't actually um, used in marketing at all, but it's an example I always like to give, which is, have you ever seen, I'm hoping you've seen the show Friends. Yes. And you'll know the character Ross then. Yes. And I used to find Friends pretty funny. I used to enjoy it. And one day I watched uh, a YouTube video of uh, like a minute or two of, of Friends where Ross is talking. And normally there's this big laugh track on the back of the show. So you can hear kind of laughs built in when he's making a joke. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they removed the laugh track and put in some kind of ominous, scary music instead. And it makes it very unfunny. So something I would otherwise have laughed pretty hard at, all of a sudden I was watching this and thinking, huh, Ross is kind of a psycho. <laughs> and that's kind of my, my favorite example of, of social proof. If you take away those, those laughs of the people who are saying, yes, this is something that's funny, this is something you should laugh at as well, then instantly it becomes much less funny. Yeah, and, and likewise, if you remove the laughs, you don't even add anything. You just remove the laughs. Friends is, is yeah. isn't that funny, right? Uh, and it's it's this is why the best shows, I believe, right? My best, my favorite TV show ever is The Office, uh, US, and the US the, version. Okay. Yeah, there's no fake laugh there, right? And yeah. yet, yeah, I mean, it makes me laugh. I know it's not for everyone, but like, I think, yeah, this add this cliche thing, and it's funny because. This is the type of stuff that you don't necessarily realize, right? It's, yeah. it's like you're watching it, and if you're asking yourself after the episode, was there fake laugh or not? You don't even know. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird, yeah. I mean, that's where you get into that, that question of, of course, if people were, were actually laughing and it was recorded with a studio audience, then that's absolutely fine. But then you also have some, some shows that maybe can't afford to, to do that and, and paste in the laughs over the top, and then you have to start asking yourself whether... Is that really okay? And I think that's the kind of social proof that you don't want to do as well, because like you say, even when it's just something as simple as laughs, you can pick up on when it's fake and it really annoys you, even though you don't know why it annoys you. Yeah. Okay. So I think you've explained the concept pretty well and, and, and what it is and uh, in, 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 like in simple terms and how it was coined and all of that. So maybe I, I think we can dive in straight away into the step-by-step of it and how to actually use social proof to, to improve sales, to improve your marketing, to improve your, your sales in general. So I believe you have a sort of a framework to go through, right? So let's get on with it. Um, let's say you work with a company and you consult them or, or whatever, and you feel there's a need for that. Like what's, what's step one? How, where do you start? Sure. So, I mean, maybe we can do two things just to kick off. Uh, the first thing is just to talk about what social proof can do and what it can't do. Okay. So what it can do is if you have something that's already working, uh, at least partly, so you have some good copy, you understand uh, what the customer needs and their goals, you understand their objections, you have a product that they 
would want to buy if they knew that they wanted to buy it. Um, it can in kind of increase your conversion rates. It can amplify everything that you're doing there. And it can even, in some circumstances, help you to, to increase your reach. But what it can't do is uh, fix a broken or a missing message. And it, it can't help you if your product's wrong, if the language you're using is wrong. Um, it just makes whatever you have work better. Right. So, so that's kind of the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amplificator rather than than something a creator, something that creates things for you. So it's not going to create customers from scratch. It's going to help you get more. Uh, it's it's not going to polish a turd, right? If you have a shitty product as well, social proof is not going to make it better. No, it isn't. No, exactly. And then the other thing is maybe before we dive into the the step by step. Um, it's always useful to have some examples. So if you have uh, a company or a uh, you can even make one up if you want, something that you'd like me to kind of reference as we go through, then maybe that'll make some of the examples a bit more uh, tangible as well. Yeah, so I mean, we can we can either pick a, a random uh, example that you make up, or you can take an example from a company you work with, uh, you don't have to share the name, or something that you just came up with uh, on the go like this. So it's really up to you. Okay, well, um, let's take up... Uh, Let's let's make a random example as we go along in that case because it, it depends kind of on on what people uh, on on kind of what direction we go what we start talking about so let's let's just make it up on on the fly in that case okay uh, so we don't need um, a structured thing one one uh, because of the listeners and and the, the the demographic of the listeners I think an, a nice example that we don't take that often would be actually uh, from the perspective of a, of a marketing consultant or marketing freelancer. Um, who don't they don't necessarily have a lot of resources, right? And they need to mm -hmm. they need to amplify the their marketing. So their own marketing. Yes. Okay, brilliant. So if we dive straight in in that case, then the first step that we're going to take when you're thinking about your social proof, uh, I like to call it my social proof framework, but it's basically all the way through your customer journey uh, customer journey funnel. So the first thing that we're going to do is to work out what we're even trying to improve, and a really simple way to do that is just to go through your entire customer journey and break it down basically by touch points. So every time that you interact with a customer from the very first time they hear about you all the way through to really to when, uh, you know, when they buy, but, but you can take it even further in some cases and say to, to the point that they churn. It depends if you're early on in your business, then maybe that's, that's more difficult to do. Mm -hmm. um, so we go all the way through there. And then at each touch point, what we need to think about is, is basically what action you want that customer or that, that lead, that prospect to take. And then think about why they aren't taking that action and maybe what objections that they have to, to taking that action. So this is something you're probably doing anyway, right, if you're a good marketer. But, but a lot of people surprisingly haven't done this work when, when I go in and work with them. So we need to kind of start from, from step one. Yeah, from experience, people will know that this must be done. But, you know, with time and different, mm -hmm. different targets, different objectives, you, you tend to forget about it. You tend to delay it. And yeah, a lot of companies, a lot of marketers don't necessarily have that. So which brings me to this. So, yeah, mapping the customer journey. I've heard that thousands of times, right? Everyone talks about it. But... How do you advise to build it? Like, how do you typically go from, I have no clue what the journey is from the perspective of a customer to, I pretty much know the action they are taking throughout. Right. So, I mean, we can, we can keep this simple. And I mean, you don't have to get this 100% perfect, right? You can get 80% of the results with 20% of the time. Mm -hmm. And you can just look at the main actions that you want a customer to take. And I'm assuming that you already have a product or a service that you're selling. 
uh, then you already have sales. So you already know where people are clicking things, sending emails, making purchasing decisions. You should have that information. You must have that information already. So choose at the beginning, you know, just choose the major ones. Maybe there are four or five, for example. What is the first time that a customer normally hears about you or comes into contact with you? Uh, what's the first action you want them to take? Maybe it's to go to your landing page. What's the second action you want them to take there? Maybe it's to click and sign up for a free trial. What's the third action you want them to take? Uh, putting in their credit card, for example. And maybe those are the, the, the first three three actions you'd be, you'd be thinking about. Right. So you keep it quite simple. And from the perspective of, let's say, a marketing consultant, it would be uh, maybe the first touch is usually on LinkedIn, then they go to your website, then they subscribe to the newsletter, then through the newsletter, the newsletter you receive five emails, then at the end you're asked to pick whether you want, I don't know, to want interest in the services or not, then you get a call. I mean, this is how you can really build it relatively quickly, right? Exactly, yes. So hear about you on LinkedIn, for example, go to that, that landing page, sign up for your lead magnet or your newsletter or whatever it is, get a series of, of emails and then hopefully sign up for a call to book you. And there are probably some steps from there, but they're more varied, right? So let's just stick to those those for right now. Right, okay. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's that's basically, I mean, it's it's you can go as complicated as you like, depending on, on how kind of how established your product is and how well you know your customers, right? And how much time you have. Okay, so, and... How how do you like to map it? Do you put it on paper? Like, do you use it kind of a, an Excel spreadsheet? How do you like to to map it out to understand the journey as a whole? I have a spreadsheet that I like to fill out. I have a template that I use, um, which is literally just a set of steps followed by uh, for each step. There's who's taking this. Uh, you know, I use the jobs to be done framework to work that out as opposed to the segment, and then. Uh, you know, what action do I want them to take and what objections do I hear from them about why they're not taking that action? So obviously you have to do some customer interviews as well if you have the time to work that out. So all of those, are, the, are those part of the next steps or is it preliminary work that you need to do? That's basically, if I'm doing this as a consultant, that's me coming in and helping uh, a marketing team do things that really they should have already done. And a lot of the time, this just doesn't happen, not because the market doesn't know they should be doing it or because they can't do it. It's more just as an outside person, when you're coming in, you have that kind of level of expertise or that level of, not expertise, that's the wrong word, that level of kind of authority that maybe someone inside the team doesn't have. So you get, you're allowed to do things that maybe uh, an internal marketing team wouldn't get uh, permission to do. So we'd have the journey with, you put it on Excel, you recommend people to put it on Excel, simply each step is one column, really. And and then you set the jobs to be done. But then, so again, you need to have also an understanding of what people are trying to achieve when they go through your journey, right? Yeah, so you need to understand why they should be taking an action and you need to understand why they aren't taking the action. But I, I think most people already have this kind of in their marketing funnel already, right? They, they have set up a funnel. They've spent a lot of time working on the copy, um, on the call to action, on the steps, uh, trying to get the conversion rate as high as possible. And to be honest, there, there are a lot of, you know, easy, quick wins that you can make before you start thinking about social proof too much. Okay. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you do that amplifies what's working really well already. It's not the kind of thing that you do as a magic bullet to to pave over any cracks. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So yeah, the reason why I'm asking is like we've, as you know, we've covered 
Jobs to be done on a few episodes, mm -hmm. yeah. so you can check it out if you search for Claire Sullentrop or Alan Clement. We talked about it. We talked about Persona with Adele Revella um, to build those. Um, we talked about building a funnel as well. So there's a lot of episodes where you can go into those details if you haven't done so. But here in this episode right now, we are assuming that you have those basics and foundations in place. You've interviewed customers. You kind of have an idea of, as you said, So it sounds like you have three things, right? The step, the action they want to take, and what prevents them from taking this action. Yeah, those are the three things you need. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I, I visualize an Excel spreadsheet with the column for each step, and then below the main action they want to take, that's row number two, and row number three will be the, the core objection. Am I visualizing that correctly? You are, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. On like the, the basic level where you'd start off, that's exactly what you'd want to have, yeah. Okay. So... If you're listening to this right now, you can visualize it in your head, uh, and then we can move on to the next step then. Brilliant, yeah. So the next step, once you have that in your head, is the main thing we're going to focus on is the objection, the reason why for any of those particular touch points, any of those particular actions you want the customer to take, what is the main objection, why are they not taking that um, action, and then to think about an, int an intended effect. So the effect... Uh, that you're trying to have with the social proof, the way that you're trying to overcome the objection. Okay. And that might sound a bit vague, so we, we can go into exactly what I mean by that, but if you have any questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you know, I do have questions always. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, maybe it would be better to illustrate it with an example. So, like, give me, illustrate that point with an example, if you can. Sure. So, let's say that the main thing... Let, let's let's take the example of clicking on. So we we have our marketing consultant, and they have managed to get someone from LinkedIn to click through to the landing page, mm -hmm. and they now want someone to sign up for their their newsletter, their lead magnet, whatever it is. They want them to enter their email address, and the main objection someone may be uh, may be experiencing the re the main reason why they're not ready to to take that action and sign up for the email address. Uh, it may be, for example, that They they don't they don't trust you to provide uh, great quality content. They they don't think that it's going to be worth it for them. Mm -hmm. So obviously there is stuff you can do in the copy and everything to make them feel better about that. But the effect that you want to have with your social proof to strengthen the likelihood that they are going to sign up is to give them this uh, this trust basically. Right. Okay. And the yeah the main three ones kind of across across anything there are there are have a, a big list of kind of effects that that are useful and that you you may want to go for. But the big three are basically trust, attention, or expertise. So uh, getting someone to trust you is is the main effect. Uh, getting someone just to pay attention to a particular piece of content or a particular call to action that might be more on the LinkedIn side of things. Um, for example, let's say I'm I'm recording uh, some content to try and get you as a a potential customer for my consultancy to click through on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm saying that, or if I'm asking you to say that, that might, uh, you know, that might get less attention than if I get, I don't know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk or someone to say it. Right. They're more likely to pay attention because they'll see that name. And they might recognize the face and, and whatnot. So exactly. tr trust, attention, and the last one is? And expertise, which is very similar to trust. And, and trust, authenticity, expertise, they all kind of get mixed up together. Uh, trust is more the side of, you know, I, I trust you to to behave well and, and to do things well. And, and, you know, there's a personal connection there to some extent, whereas expertise is more that uh, 
nine out of ten doctors recommend you use this medicine. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's so, the authority yeah, side, right? Do, do they recognize you as an authority? Uh, yeah, I, I actually use authority for something different. Uh -huh, authority okay. is, uh, is one that you very rarely come across as an effect, but it's kind of, uh, so it also happens in medicine. There's an interesting brand I worked with, which produces uh, something in the, like the, the, um, the, the, the baby, the, 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 the prenatal space. Mm -hmm. And they obviously have uh, FDA approved, for example, as a form of social proof, which is then the author, which is then the authority. It's coming from a position of you can't trust this. We stamp it, and we have, uh, you know, gotcha. uh, we're there for that. But it's very similar again. Yeah. Okay, and so those are the top three that you see over and over again as the the objection or as the remedy to those objections, or those are probably linked. Yeah. So it's it's it's. The objection is, is, for example, I'm not sure I can trust you. And then, obviously, just social proof by itself isn't going to help them overcome that, but it's going to strengthen whatever, uh, kind of whatever, whatever you're trying to do to, to help them overcome that in the first place. So instead of you saying, you can trust me because of X, it's better to have someone who, uh, a source of social proof that will make them trust you implicitly, for example. Right. Uh, if that makes sense. It does. So, okay. So those are the top three things, and as you said, we have the uh, we have the step in the Excel spreadsheet. We have these um, those objections. We have the key action people want to take, and we now know that like they are like basically the top three that we need to to take care of. Uh, usually, that's the most common. So how do we go from there? Sure. So now that you know basically what effect you're going for with your social proof, whether you're trying to increase. Uh, the customer's trust in you, whether you're trying to grab their attention, whether you're trying to convince them of, of your expertise, that they can trust you because of that. Um, you then basically, that's, this is the point where we switch and actually start thinking about the social proof itself and think about the source and the format of the social proof. So what I mean by that as, as the source is obviously, you know, who is the person or, or, or what, what um, uh, you know, where are you getting that social proof from? And the format is more like, is it a case study? Is it a testimonial? Is it a rating? Is it a review? Um, is it one of those, you know, FOMO style widgets? Uh, other widget, uh, other, other um, providers of that are, are available. Um, <laughs> yeah, so which of those are you, are you going to, to, to use? Um, we can dive kind of into those separately maybe uh, and, and take a look at the source first. Yeah, let's do that. Sure. So... I actually have seven different uh, <laughs> kinds of, of, of sources that you may want to, uh, to, to appeal to. We don't need to look into all of them, but some of them I can give you. Uh, let's go back to our example of the marketing consultant again. And let's say we still have our, um, we still have our lead on our page and we're trying to get them to trust us and we're trying to get them to click on that, uh, that, that kind of newsletter sign up. Right. Or, right. So... One thing that, that wouldn't, well, there, there are a couple of different ways you could go to build that trust, right? So the, the main one that people tend to go for is a, a lookalike source of social proof, which means someone who is very similar to that customer, who is going through the same thing, who they can relate to, mm -hmm. uh, giving them the feeling that they can trust you. Because implicitly, if someone else like me is doing this, I should probably be doing it as well. That's the classic kind of Cialdini social proof thing, right? Right. But you could also go for, for example, an aspirational source of social proof, 
which would be more something like, I don't know, who is your, your personal favorite marketing consultant? My personal favorite marketing consultant? Yeah. Apart from who's you? The person you'd like, apart from me, who's the person you'd like to be? Uh, the cliche would be maybe Mark Ritson from like, okay. uh, yeah, I think he's a pretty good consultant. Right. So if he was recommending it and saying you can trust this, then of course you're, you're likely to trust it as well. And the other thing you can go to is an expert, which in this case is pretty much uh, the same. But, you know, it could be a, a review from some marketing journal or from, you know, HBR or something saying this is a great source of, uh, <laughs> of information. You should sign up for this newsletter. I know it's a pretty silly, pretty silly example, but, but those are kind of the three main ones that, that you tend to get. So you sparked my curiosity by saying there are seven. So you, you have to give the seven now. I have to go through all seven? Yes. Okay, well, let me get it uh, in front of me. I don't keep these off by heart, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so... All of the seven that I've identified, and you know, this is something that uh, I'm not saying these are the only seven. This is just how I define them in my head. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the, the first source of social proof that I see a lot is something I call warm bodies, which is basically, it doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter where they come from, what they're doing. It's just that the only thing that matters is there's a lot of them. So you see this a lot on Amazon, right? 500 people have bought this. You don't mm. care who they are. They could all be living in the same small Russian village. But just the fact that 500 people have bought this today, uh, it kind of uh, it means something. Right. Right. Then another one is, uh, well, the second one I, li I like to look at is, is relationship. So it's from a personal source of social proof, someone that you already know. So it doesn't matter necessarily whether they are the right target they don't have to be the same kind of person as you it's enough that someone that you know and trust is recommending something to you mm -hmm. um a third one is like we've just mentioned is the lookalike so i'm a marketer if i see something if i see that you're using something i'm likely to trust it and give it a go because you're using it um aspirational we've just covered as well is your your favorite marketer recommending it expertise again same thing and then um the last two well, one that we, we hardly ever see that we touched on before is official, which is the government or some official standards body saying, this is something that's good. You should use this. They're a great source of social proof. If, you know, if you're worried about safety, security, that kind of thing, uh, you see that more in e-commerce around food, around electronics, mm -hmm. um, around data security, those kind of things. And the last one, which is mainly useful for uh, really early stage businesses where they don't have a lot of customers yet, is just simply yourself being a personal source of social proof where you make yourself very visible you make sure that people can hear your voice that they can see you that they know what you look like and just that is enough to make them trust you yeah so yeah. and you see that a lot the last one you see that a lot in i mean for marketing consultants and freelancers where you have you should have you show your face on the website uh front and center right and and you have a nice picture you're smiling you're looking at the camera uh, I, I see that as a pattern uh, for a lot of consultants, freelancers out there. They use, they tend to use the same kind of similar model for that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And someone I think does a really good job of that is Brennan Dunn. Yes. Who is yeah. So Brennan Dunn is the actually was on the podcast a few months ago and is the founder of wfreelancing.com and the software called writemessage.com, right? And yeah. if you go to wfreelancing.com, the first thing you see is his face, basically asking you to sign up to his email. Right? Right, yeah. 
And a lot of other comp- a lot of other consultants are doing it. I mean, there's plenty of names right in my head appearing as soon as you mention it. So anyway, as you said, seven sources, right? Uh, some are more important than others. Some are most used than others. And can you remind me the top three you said that are the most important? Well, I mean, obviously it depends what you're doing, right? But in general, the three that I tend to to grab for the most often are uh, lookalike. So it's someone who's similar to you. Um, aspirational. So that's more the influencer style of someone you'd like to be and the expert. Uh, and then obviously, you it really depends what you're doing. Because if you're selling e-commerce, then then you're using a lot of warm bodies, for example. You're using a lot of uh, just, just ratings and reviews, and it doesn't really matter who the person right. is. They just want to see that other people are buying it, right? So it, there's there's no real kind of top three. Those are just like in my day-to-day business, I work mainly with, with B2B companies. Those are the three that tend to get used. Okay, so now those are the sources. What's next? Yeah. So then once you have your source, uh, you know what effect you're trying to get with them. You then need to work out the format. Um, and the format is basically, you know, how are you going to display this social proof to get the effect? So you're thinking, okay, what is the intended effect? Who is the customer? Um, and what is their mindset? And where are we showing them this social proof? Because, for example, if let's say you're just trying to nudge someone to sign up for the email newsletter, then making them read a five-page case study first probably isn't going to make them likely to, to, to increase conversions mm. and sign-ups, right? Um, whereas if you're selling a really, really expensive piece of enterprise software, making people flick through a case study or giving the, them the option to flick through a long case study first may actually increase uh, conversions at the end of the day. So, it, it, you know, you have to kind of bear in mind the, the, the stage and the location and the mindset of the customer when you're doing that. And there are all different kinds of, of, of format. So it depends whether you're trying to give them a big, uh, a big nudge or just a little nudge to kind of encourage them. Um, I guess a classic example is just a very small testimonial uh, next to the credit card form, for right. example, when you're paying for something. So what's, what it sounds like is that you use the format and the source as a way to proportionally reply to the objection. So maybe the bigger the objection, the bigger the action they need to take, the bigger the nudge. And therefore, the format must be proportional to that and even the source, right? So you need to, you might need a big hammer to, to put down this nail uh, if, if the action is, is a massive one and the objection is quite strong, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, yeah. So... So you've listed the source, you've listed the, like the type of format. We can, we, as you said, it could be one sentence testimonial, it could be a long case study, it could be a video testimonial. What other format do we have that sure, you I mean, tend to see? <laughs> there are so many, and I think a lot of things that we don't even realize a social proof are. Um, common ones that I see are, like you said, testimonials, video testimonials, uh, a link to a, to a podcast or an embedded podcast, for example, a case study, ratings, reviews, uh, those FOMO-style widgets, uh, embedded tweets, influencers, for example, on Instagram. Um, that's just a couple off the top of my head, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there are more that I, I can't think of right now. Okay. Okay, so we have those two things. So what's next? How do we package it to, to answer those objections and, and have the, the intent that we want to have? Right. So, I mean, the last thing, the last step basically after, you know, other than testing and personalizing and and updating stuff is basically just to obtain or to create the content that you're going to use for that, uh, that piece of social proof. So 
I think the main thing here when you're trying to get that content, you know, obviously you have to work out in advance. The reason we've taken it this way, you know, instead of starting with asking a customer for a testimonial, for example, and then working out how to build that into your website or into your sales funnel, which is something that a lot of marketers tend to do. Uh, the reason we've gone the other way around is to make sure that we know exactly what we need to be said in exactly what format and exactly who we need to be saying it to make the customer or to make the lead uh, take the action we want them to take, right? Right. So what you want to do is to make sure that you're involved in creating or obtaining the message, the copy, the content that you want to be created there. And the way to do it is to make it as easy and as beneficial for the source as possible and to do as much work for them as you can. Okay. So you want to be suggesting what they what you would like them to say. Obviously, you don't want to be doing anything disingenuous, but a lot of people, especially on the e-commerce side of stuff, they are very busy. And if you give them a statement and say, would you agree with this, for example, um, that can be a, a great way to, uh, you know, to, to get a testimonial, for example. Okay, so and, you basically reverse engineer the objection in order to find the right people to, to actually talk about it in the right way. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't come up with random a random testimonial just at a specific place in the funnel because you need social proof you would actually so what i understand from your methodology is that every single time you place some sort of social proof it's there for a reason right it's engineered there for exactly a reason. yes yes um so yeah i mean i think we should talk about that in more detail and how to reach out to people because i think one of the most common ways is what you call the, the look-alike like those clients those, those similar clients those experts as well that might vouch for you. I've done it a lot in the past, like these case studies. And I think um, Sean D'Souza from the Brain Audit that we had on the show talked about it a bit as well. And he has a similar approach of engineering testimonials, not faking them, but really making sure that you have testimonials that are there for a reason. And my personal way to start uh, a good testimonial, a good, a good case study is really to make sure that they say, you know, before I started using this product, I was afraid of X, Y, and Z. You know, I wasn't sure if X, Y, and Z was true. And you basically make it way more truthful by letting the, the customer admit that they were scared as much as you are now looking at the website, that they were doubtful as much as you are now. And it, from my experience, at least, it really removes this, this aspect of, it, this, this sounds like a fucking fake testimonial. Right, this sounds fake as fuck, and it really turns it on into its head and into a real story and something that you you, you want to believe because it's true. Yes, of course. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. And definitely, I wouldn't recommend faking testimonials. Uh, people just have a sixth sense for this kind of thing. It will, it won't help, and it's it's just not a good thing to do anyway. Um, what I've seen work really well, in addition to the stuff you've just said, is that I think all good. Um, testimonials and basically nearly all good copywriting in the first place, it comes from your customer's words anyway, right? So it's either right. from that customer or it's something you've heard from a lot of other customers and you're just making it easy for them to repackage that. But, you know, genuine, compelling copy, that comes from your customers. So what are the sources of genuine compelling copy? Like where, where do you tend to take this copy from? I mean, from it, it depends, obviously, again, on the source and what, what you're trying to achieve, right? So maybe if we have a, um, an example of, uh, let, let's go back and say you, you, like, you like the idea of the lookalike audiences. So we're trying to build trust in our, on our page for our marketing consultancy. 
um, trying to get someone to sign up for that newsletter. And we decided, okay, we want a, a lookalike audience, a lookalike source. So we're going to go, I'm going to reach out to uh, Louis Gronier and ask him to give me a, let's say we're going to go for a testimonial in this case, right. uh, a short testimonial, just saying something, you know, along the lines of, okay, we need to build some trust. So we want them, uh, we want you to say something along the lines of, uh, I signed up for this and it's been a great decision. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Um, now this is slightly easier because I would just kind of formulate that sentence based on uh, reasons I've heard people saying why they've signed up and how they why they were worried about signing up in the first place, and I probably have asked them that by email or on the phone after they had signed up. Uh, you know, people who'd signed up before. Um, so that's a relatively easy way of doing it. I would just reach out and say, "Hey, uh, I'd love to get your feedback on this. Um, here's something I'm interested in hearing. Do you agree with this statement? Yes or no?" And do you mind me uh, telling other people about whether you agree with it if you do? Right. Uh, obviously, I would use different words, but uh, that's kind of the basic way I'd go about something as simple as a, as a testimonial. Okay. Um, yeah. And what's usually the, the response rate? Because like from, as you said, from, a, from experience, it's rather difficult to get, to get people to agree to give those, to give those right? I haven't found it that difficult. Definitely the thing that helps is, I mean, this is the thing you should be doing in any message to customers or potential customers anyway is just leading with the value to them right and in a one line kind of testimonial like that there isn't really one you're just asking them to send you a you know click here for yes click here for no kind of thing uh, there isn't really any value in that when it gets to case studies and larger things where maybe you want to include a photo or a logo or whatever uh, then it's always best to formulate it and to make sure the actual content of the case study or whatever it is uh, is kind of showing and presenting the value for that customer first. So in a case study, I like to format it actually as how amazing uh, that company is or, or that client is, how, what an amazing job they've done uh, in doing whatever they did with my product. And throughout that, I will include some, some hints and some, some nudges, uh, you know, reminding people who are reading the case study about where they managed to do this and why they managed to achieve this with my product. But first and foremost, I'm going to put uh, that company, that client first. And that's something that they then obviously, you know, they're not being asked to, uh, you know, to provide you with something that's going to help you. But you're asking them if you can feature them and how amazing they are. And that tends to give you a, a much better response rate. Right. Um, what, what I've seen from the past about those type of, of testimonials and, and, and case study as well is you shouldn't uh, underestimate the power of uh, making people feel good about themselves and, and their status, right? So even if it's a one-line testimonial you want to introduce in your checkout page, saying that your name and company will be exposed, will be shown to 10,000 visitors a day, even if there is no link to, your, to back to their website, will probably make them feel quite good about it. Exactly. Yeah. So leading with that value is absolutely the right way to go. And especially taking it back to this kind of um, our consulting example from before, they're selling what well, you're selling consulting services normally to someone inside a company. Normally, there's someone who will have had to get buy in for that decision and who's taken on a certain level of risk within the company. Let's say it's their, uh, their, their, their head of marketing, for example, their head of growth inside the company. So you can make a distinction between the value to the customer, like the client, and the value to the person, your, your contact person at that company as well. And having that kind of, you know, that 
that that feature, that case study of what an amazing job they did, what an amazing decision they made to work with you is something that they're going to be really happy to have. They can take that back and show it to their boss and show it to other uh, maybe prospective employers later down the line. That's something they're going to be really, really happy to have. So apart from those lookalikes of reaching out to people and mentioning all of the stuff you mentioned, like making sure you lead with value, I would also say don't be afraid to reach and to start with the negative first. Or not the negative, but the the, the fears they had in their in their head that connect directly with the objection you want to answer before they're starting using you or even during after they fixed it and that kind of stuff. Um, so apart from those concepts and those this when it's about reaching out to customers and experts, maybe we can take another example from like another source that is not as easy to get and 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 see how we can use it to answer those objections. Um, sure. Do you have a, a concrete example in mind or an idea of that? So outside of, you said the lookalike ones, so reaching out to customers, reaching out to clients, uh, to potentially experts. Do you feel like there is a difference between um, like reaching out to, to lookalike, like people who are like customers and happy customers and experts and authorities? Do, you, do you, Should you approach it differently? It's difficult to say. Well, I mean, obviously authorities, you there's normally some kind of vetting process, right? So you'll be reaching out to, say, the FDA, and it's going to be a long thing with probably some some lawyers involved and some testing, and it's going to cost money and take time. Um, so I think the risk there is relatively low. The reply rate is obviously going to be very high, but it's going to take a, a long time, and it's going to be quite expensive. Whereas with happy customers, I think the main thing to think about there is that you have to ask them at the right time. And the way I like to do that is to think about, okay, once I've Let's say for a look like once I've onboarded somebody, um, I'm going to look ahead to look at the the aha moments, you know, the moments during that uh, once they've become a customer when they're ex uh, very happy and when they realize the value of the product to them. So let's say uh, the first time with a consultancy, let's say the first time that they get a new sale because of something I did, that's the moment I'm going to reach out and ask them for a testimonial. That's the moment I'm going to reach out and ask them for a review or a rating or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a big advice, right? Like you, you need to anticipate the fact that you're going to need case study and testimonial in the future, and it might even be part of your sales process. Saying, you know, by the way, you're using this product. Just want to make sure you're happy to give us a testimonial in the next three weeks uh, after using it. You know, really trying to anticipate that as much and as much as possible, making sure that people know so they are not surprised if you ask it is absolutely the right approach, right? For sure, yeah, and I actually build that into my terms and conditions um, for consulting and also for most products, where I have some line. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's not the most important one, uh, but it's you know one or two sentences just saying uh, both parties commit within the first sixty days to release a mutually beneficial press release or something like that. Some some simple one one or two uh, sentence lines. Nice. Okay, so I think we've gone, to, as you said, we've gone through the, the framework, we've gone, we've gone through the process. Uh, have we forgotten any steps? No, I mean, the only other thing is obviously to remember what a lot of people don't do is then, uh, you know, they'll, they'll work with me or they'll, they'll do this themselves and they'll set it up and then they'll forget to, to test it. They'll forget to, uh, you know, to update things as, as things change. And one step, because we, we mentioned Brennan and, and Write Message before anyway, uh, obviously different kinds of people different customer segments will respond well to different sources of social proof and will have different objections and different worries. 
So if you do get a chance and you're a bit larger and you have the time and the scope, it's worth personalizing this stuff, right? Yeah, and, and this is the next step, right? Once you're really getting smart and once you have social proof in the right parts of the funnel and you know they work, then you can go to the next step, which is showing specific testimonial to specific uh, to specific people based on who they are or what they believe in or the jobs to be done. And you can go very, very deep at very, uh, very, yeah, very advanced uh, once you have the basics. But from, I mean, from what you said and, and from experience, I can say that, that it's, the basics are usually not in place anyway. And that, you know, very few companies are at the stage where they can personalize their experience based on, you know, who they are, who those people are and then where they land on the website and all of that, right? Yes, I think that's a, a fair assumption to make. That's definitely what I've seen, yeah. Uh, so before we move on to another set of questions, different topic, but uh, what what would be the biggest mistake people make when trying to do all of this, right? Uh, I mean, you mentioned a few, but is there another one that comes to mind? The biggest mistake people make when they're doing all of this, I think is honestly, it's just not realizing that social proof is, is, isn't something you can add on. And then probably the second biggest mistake, uh, which is something we've also kind of covered, is just this idea that when you're uh, when you're trying to find the right uh, source of social or the right content, they're trying to kind of pigeonhole or uh, you know they're trying to 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 fit uh, testimony that they already have into uh, a place where it's not really needed. And I think when you look at a lot of landing pages, especially. You'll see some logos, you'll see a testimonial here or there. And other than, you know, proving that there are actually people using that product, it doesn't add anything at all. Right. And it can be a distraction in a lot of cases. And I think a lot of them, I've seen a lot of them that are actually harmful, where people, especially like if I'm selling to, a, let's say I'm selling to you, so we're back to the consultancy, and I want you to buy my consulting services, uh, and I slap down Salesforce and uh, H&M and Walmart as my test, as my uh, logos of, you know, social proof of people I've worked with, uh, you're probably going to be questioning whether you're going to be able to afford me and whether I'm going to be right, the right fit for, for what you're trying to do. Whereas if I had, say, Bear Metrics and maybe Stripe or someone else, you'd probably be much more interested. So social proof, if you don't think about it, it, it can be kind of more harm than, than a help. Yes. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, and it actually, yeah, it could absolutely backfire, right? So if you mm -hmm. if you have a testimonial that is, or like another part of another social proof that is not well engineered, it might raise objection in people's head that they hadn't thought about before, right? So yeah. you, you need to be very careful about the way you handle those objections or like thereof and not make the prospect overthink when they shouldn't and add too many testimonials, too many social proof to make it seem like it tells so much that it might be untrustworthy after a while. So definitely do test everything you do to make sure you don't fuck up your funnel. Yeah, but this comes back to the main problem, I think, that nearly every marketer has, which is they just don't spend enough time understanding their customers and what they're trying to do and what their mindset is. So go back to your customers, talk to them more, do more discovery, spend more time talking to them. It's something I think we, we all need to do. Uh, it's definitely something I, I keep needing to, to remind myself to do more of. Yeah, that, that's the, the podcast is here for that. Like everyone listening, speak, speak to your customer more often. And I'm also telling that to myself. It's, Super important. So thanks so much, uh, Louis, for spending the time to to go through this framework with me. I just have a few questions left before I let you go. Um, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? 
Mm, well, leading straight on from that, again, just how to get people to open up to you and to tell you the stuff that you need to hear. So I think it's it's sales, but but not in the way that maybe we think of sales uh, as being, you know, kind of trying to force people into buying things, but into understanding them, into setting them on a shared, kind of finding a shared goal, a win-win situation, and setting them on that path to, to seeing that. So I think that's definitely the thing that, you know, over the next, or even in, you know, in, in 20 years or in 50 years, it's still going to be people that are buying. And if you can understand what they're trying to do and what they're worried about better than everyone else, then you're going to have a good shot at, you know, convincing them to buy and helping, you know, build a really good product for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the back of that, maybe, uh, what are the top three resources you recommend listeners? So it could be books, podcasts, videos, conference, events, whatever. Right. So this is just for generic uh, marketers at any stage. Um, well, I'm going to be a kind of a cop out and say for number one, I, I really do think people should be listening to this show. Uh, it's the only marketing podcast that I listen to uh, on a regular basis. I, I really enjoy it. And I, I love the, the choice of speakers. I think you've obviously slipped a bit with this one, but but otherwise it's been <laughs> been great. And I'm not going to plug my own stuff as well. So uh, a piece of software I think that people should check out, uh, pretty much anybody, to be honest, is Right Message. We've mentioned it a couple of times. It has made a massive difference to my business. And it's, uh, apart from the team just being super awesome and amazing people, it is, you know, it's, it's the one piece of software I've started using in the last 18 months or so that's made the biggest difference. Um, and lastly, I would take a book that you were going to read or a course or a podcast you were going to listen to or something uh, and don't do that and go and talk to your customers instead. So <laughs> set aside that time to do that. Yes, amen to that. And yeah, right message is, is a really good tool. And even though I, I wish that those episodes can be listened to like in 10 years and 20 years and still be relevant, uh, I have to say that, yeah, their, their software is really good. And, and, and whatever, what, whatever Brennan Dunn does, is good, so I can vouch for that. In 20 years, he'll still be here, and it's whatever he's doing, it's still going to be quite good. So, Louis, again, thanks again uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm pretty sure people listening right now might have questions for you. They want to reach out to you. How can they do that? Sure. So they can find me online. Uh, my website is louisnichols.com, and there's an email address there. And otherwise, I'm pretty active on Twitter at Louis Nichols, and then an underscore at the end. So that's probably the best place to, to reach out. And I, I love talking to people and, and helping on, on sales and marketing stuff. So I'd, I'd love to hear from everyone. And how do you spell your, your last name? N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S. All right. Well, Louis, once again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as a -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also... Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me 
an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.